Hello and welcome to Vegas Odds Football. This week I was joined by Jason from Jaguars United. Uh, Jason makes content about the Jacksonville Jaguars. He makes film breakdowns about NFL in general. Um, And Jason joined the show to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we talked a little bit about the AFC South and sort of how that division might shake out. Some prop bets for the Jaguars, some bets for the AFC South itself about how it might shake out. It was just a very insightful conversation. So thanks to Jason for joining the show. So with that said, let's jump in. Let's start off this week with the big idea. What's the idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? This week's big idea is pretty simple. We went into the NFL draft last week with an understanding of how we thought about certain teams. And we have to be willing now to change our interpretation the way we understand some of these teams. So, for example, a team like the Jets. I think everyone sort of entered last week's draft with an understanding that the Jets were the worst team in the AFC East. I don't feel that way anymore. I loved what the Jets did in the draft last week. I know that I'm not alone in saying that. I know that they are sort of the the bells of the ball this year post-draft. Between drafting cornerback Sauce Gardner, a sort of franchise cornerback that the Jets haven't seen since Revis left, drafting Garrett Wilson, a wide receiver who can really take the top off of a defense, who could really extend drives and sort of open up explosive plays for Zach Wilson, and getting uh, Jermaine Johnson at the back end of the first round, adding some help up front, adding some strength to that front seven that I know that Robert Saleh wants to turn into a vicious group up there. Um, I think the Jets are now in a unique position. They have this sort of stink to them in the post gase years, and frankly, they were pretty bad last year. Uh, we don't know if their coaches are really any good. They showed some promise last year. They beat the one seed, and they beat the Bengals at some point in the season, too. So we know that they showed flashes. We didn't see Zach Wilson really put it all together. But I'm walking out of that draft with an understanding that the Jets are probably going to be better than people give them credit for. So if I'm looking at the Jets over-under win total, which as it stands is 5.5, I'm leaning on the over. I know right now it's about split at five and a half. The line does not appear to have changed post-draft, but I would lean towards the Jets winning six games next year. I know they're in a tough division. I know that everyone seems to be loading up, but I would also sprinkle a little bit on the Jets to finish in third in that division. You're going to get plus money odds because they are the heavy favorite right now to finish in fourth behind the Patriots, Dolphins, and Bills. We know the Bills are going to be a Super Bowl contender. We know that the Dolphins have gone all in on providing Tua with all the weapons available to him. And we know that the Pats are the Pats. But I wouldn't be surprised, especially with the Pats sort of whiffing on some of their early picks, at least as far as draft folks are sort of concerned. I would not be surprised to see the Pats take something of a step back next year or whether the Dolphins sort of flame out. I could totally see the Jets leapfrogging either of those teams into that third spot. Uh, And that's a plus money bet you can get on DraftKings right now. But it's not just the Jets. We need to think about what other teams are telling us in this draft. Think about the Titans, too. The Titans traded A.J. Brown to the Eagles. They drafted Malik Willis. The Titans were the number one seed next year. They traded their number one receiver, and they drafted a potential heir apparent at quarterback. It's clear that post-playoff flameout this year, there's some internal strife within that organization in terms of assessing where their window is, when that window is closing, and whether this roster, this group of guys, is good enough to take them to the promised land. I understand that Tannehill has been great the last couple of years, but it's hard to not look at what the Titans did in this draft and not think that the Titans don't necessarily see themselves as a Super Bowl contender. And I know that Vrabel's a really great coach, and I know he's done wonderful things with that roster. But I'm of the belief the Titans are giving us signs that they don't view themselves as a team that's going to be competing for 11-12 wins this year. 
So I'm looking at their over-under total going into this year. I'm looking at the draft, and I can't help but think their 9.5 win total that I'm looking at now is a bit high. I think that I would lean on betting the under on these Titans based almost entirely on what they've done this offseason, that they probably overachieved a bit on defense last year. They're going to play a first-place schedule this year. And then also, just looking at what they did roster-wise, it seems like they recognize that they may have missed the window with this group of guys. So that's why I'm looking at this 9.5 total win number and thinking under, under, under. And I may even sprinkle a little on the Colts to win that division because it feels like they're in the driver's seat here. Also, in terms of the Titans moves, we have to look at what the Eagles did, right? The Eagles traded for A.J. Brown. They supplemented Devonta Smith. They are putting together an offense that can really do things. They have one of the better rosters in the NFC. It's just that giant question mark at quarterback with Hurts. So you could look at this in two ways. You could look at this as saying the Eagles recognize they're not a team that's really going to compete for playoff wins right now, but they're putting everything together so they can slot one of those top tier rookie quarterbacks next year, that big NFL quarterback draft class is coming in, put one of those guys in this offense and be off and running. But I would say that I would put a little bit right now on the Eagles to win that division, the NFC East, because the Cowboys are in sort of a weird position. They have a possible lame duck coach in McCarthy with Jerry Jones constantly courting Sean Payton and Dan Quinn and talking about how those guys are such great coaches. I would not be shocked to see McCarthy fired midway through next season if the Cowboys don't start off hot. So they're already in a weird sort of pressured situation. But the Eagles are sort of playing with house money. They made the playoffs this year. They didn't really necessarily expect to make the playoffs. And now they're in a position where they put together a really good roster. If Hertz can take a step forward, he doesn't have to be a superstar quarterback. He just can't suck for three quarters and suddenly remember how to play in the fourth. If he can take that step, they may be in a position to actually win that division. Remember, the Cowboys are going to be playing a first place schedule too. The Eagles are going to get a little bit of an easier go with the second place schedule. But The Eagles made moves that make me think they can win right now. And teams are not always right. They're not infallible. But I'm of the mind that if an NFL team tells you who they are, believe them. So in closing, I just want to say it's important not to get caught up in who we thought these teams were before the draft. A lot of these teams went into the draft looking to redefine themselves, and they've done just that. So just to run through my bets one more time before we go, uh, the bets I was looking at here were Jets over five and a half wins, Jets to finish third place in the AFC East at plus 330 right now. Titans over nine and a half wins, the Colts to win the South at plus 110, and the Eagles to win the NFC East at plus 275. Now I was joined by Jason from Jaguars United to talk Jaguars and the AFC South. Hello, I am here with Jason from Jaguars United. Thanks so much for joining the show today, Jason. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Appreciate the invite. So today we are talking about the NFL, um, the NFL draft, post-draft reactions, and how we need to recontextualize some of these teams following the draft. Um, so you are a Jacksonville Jaguars content creator. I'm curious to hear what you think of the Jaguars' post-draft reactions. How are you reacting to what the Jaguars did in this year's draft? It's funny. We're in a weird position. Uh, we're picking first for the second year in a row. So it's not like this is like the first time we've done it. Like We were here last year. We were all stoked about Trevor Lawrence. We knew he was the pick going into it. Last year, uh, there was no suspense. And then this year, we went into it kind of teetering between, is it going to be offensive line? Is it going to be defensive line? Uh, And then when they re-signed Cam Robinson to that extension, we kind of figured it was defensive line. Then it became, is it Aiden Hutchinson or is it it Trayvon Walker? And the fan base was entirely split. Um, And it came down to, you know, someone that's proved it in college, like Aiden Hutchinson, versus someone who has the ceiling 
of a Jadavion Clowney or a Javon Kirst type player, right? Uh, but doesn't quite have the stats. So, I mean, the fan base is completely split on this. Um, if if we weren't coming off of drafting who I think is a generational quarterback, I might be pissed at this pick because I really, really wanted someone that proved it in college um, and has done it. But um, look, Trevor Lawrence is this team's future. Uh, the defense was equally bad as the offense last year. A lot of people wanted to see the front office kind of help Trevor Lawrence out. I wanted to see them add offensive line help, receiver help, really tight end help, literally anywhere. And the front office decided to just kind of load up on defense in this draft. The reasoning was they they added players in free agency like Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Brandon Sheriff, added guys like that. So you you think they, their excuse was they they added that in the free agency. Uh, but literally, I mean, it's split. Um, I've come to terms with Trevon Walker. Uh, when If you really get down to brass tacks in our 3-4 defensive scheme, Aiden Hutchinson and Josh Allen, who we drafted only a couple years ago, kind of played the same position, that stand-up edge. So it makes sense that they want someone that can play more hand in the dirt, uh, can demand double teams and stop the run, because we were abysmal in that area last year. So drafting um, Trevon Walker at 6'5", 272, running a 4-5-40, a 30 six inch arms like that's a freak that's a freak right yeah. there so i i get what they're doing they loaded up devin lloyd is like the steal of the draft apparently taking him at 27 yeah um they did add a little bit to the offensive line with luke fortner um and then they doubled up on linebacker with chad muma from wyoming so uh at least our defense will be improved and the bottom line is and this is how most jags fans w- would tell you is that we were so bad last year any upgrade is an upgrade. Doesn't matter what yeah. position, doesn't matter where at, but um, the team definitely got better. So I think the Jags are in a unique position where they are in a rebuild, but the fans and the team, it seems, are acknowledging the fact that this isn't a rebuild that's going to happen in a day. They weren't trying to rush this. They weren't necessarily jumping at somebody who was a proven college talent. And one thing I, I didn't really appreciate at the time, but the more I hear about Trayvon Walker, the more I think about the idea that After Josh Allen and what he was in college, this raw prospect who sort of exploded on the scene in the right situation in the NFL, uh, we had a lot of prognosticators talking about the idea that a lot of NFL teams would come away from that with the wrong idea. They would be looking at some of these raw quarterback prospects and they would be like, oh, we can turn this guy into a winner in the right situation. And Malik Willis was like the ultimate example of that this year where people were looking at him and they were like, listen, I see a lot of weaknesses in him as a prospect, but maybe with that arm and that running talent, we can turn him into the right guy. What's interesting to me is that the Jaguars seem to have bought into this notion, but on the edge. They're applying the same sensibility that teams have theoretically applied now to quarterback from the Josh Allen situation and said, hey, what if we did this with an edge talent, a guy who's so physically gifted with the physical tools that we can turn him from a guy in college who isn't necessarily producing a lot of gaudy sack numbers into somebody who can really be a difference maker on the edge. Do you feel that that's something that the Jaguars are doing here? They're sort of banking on who Trayvon Walker will become as opposed to who he's been so far? Absolutely. I'm a big film breakdown guy. My channel is mostly film breakdown. So I dive into the X's and O's of these players. I was making a case for Trayvon Walker before we drafted him, even though I didn't want him. I, I made a case because when I went through his film, a lot of things stood out. The first thing is that Georgia front seven was disgusting everywhere. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not talking the starting front seven. I'm talking the four guys they were rotating in were also, to, I mean, that, that team's loaded. And there's only so many mouths to feed when it comes to stats. Yep. I mean, you had a guy like Nicobe Dean who got drafted as late as he did, led the team in like sacks. So, I mean, it's like, you know, when you look at it that way, it's like sometimes the defense is set up that way. Another thing that uh, is Trevon Walker, Georgia was blowing out teams all year. He didn't play a lot of fourth quarters. 
I mean, they would take him out and they'd put in the, you know, the freshman and the sophomore and then they would take him out. So where guys like Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau were playing all game and getting maybe some, I don't want to call it garbage time, but maybe situations where you knew the other team needed to pass to win. Uh, Trayvon Walker never had those opportunities. So if you look at just the stats, um, he was kind of robbed of a lot of situations that would have given him those stats. And again, the thing that the Jags need is a guy that is just a monster on the defensive line. He's been getting a lot of comps to Calais Campbell. Um, a big end that can, again, demand a double team, beat a double team, seal the edge, set the edge, and you know basically make the running back turn it back outside and allow your linebackers to clean it up. So it's not a sexy pick at number one. And I think that's what half the fan base is uh, kind of griping about because it's not sexy. But if you're trying to build a stout defense and a stout front seven, that big five technique end is one of the most valuable positions you can add to your team. Um, and we have Arizona's old defensive line coach that coached Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt and all these guys. So there's a lot of optimism here, but you're spot on. They did definitely draft a guy who uh, it's more about his ceiling than it is about what he's proven. And I think, honestly, initially, I wasn't necessarily sold on this pick. When I look around the AFC in particular, I look around the league and I see so many quarterbacks who are now reaching like stratospheric levels. You need to beat Patrick Mahomes. You need to beat Josh Allen. You need to beat Justin Herbert. You need to beat Lamar Jackson if you want to make a run in the playoffs in the AFC. And how are teams doing that? And we saw that this year with teams investing in cornerback and edge. And if you have a guy with the theoretical ceiling that a guy like Trayvon Walker has with those physical gifts, it's a risk you need to take because it's the only way that you really run a risk of terrorizing these quarterbacks come playoff time. Absolutely. And honestly, even bigger for the AFC South specifically. The biggest threats in the AFC South are Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, those are the two best players in the division. They just carved us up every time we played them. Yeah. So the Jags said, you know what? We're sick of this. We're going to get a guy who can hold the edge, can, can hold up a double team, doesn't get pushed off the line. Yeah. And we're not going to let Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor run all over us because I can live with Matt Ryan dropping back and throwing. I can live with Davis Mills. I can live with Tannehill or whoever, you know, Link Willis, whoever else. Like, I can live with that. Yeah. But I'm not, I don't want Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor running all over me. That's, that's, that's the bottom line. Absolutely. My question for you is, coming into the draft, I believe the Jaguars over-under win total was set for six and a half. Do you believe that the Jags did anything to change your mind on how that win total might go, whether it be over or under? So, man, this is tough because <laughs> that's a great number. <laughs> they're too freaking good. Yeah, they are. I mean, they know what they're doing. And, um, you know, I, I hate to say this. It's not picking a side, but... If they catch a break here or there, they could hit seven or eight. And if they don't, they could hit five or six. And that's, you know, that's what gets you in a tough position. Um, personally, I think they added more for the future, like the two years from now, three years from now, more than next year. So could I see this team winning less than six games? That's probably where I would lean for next year. Uh, but I think, you know, the wild card is Trevor Lawrence going into his second year because we see time and time again, quarterbacks make a huge leap from year one to year two. And obviously I'm a homer, uh, but I think Trevor Lawrence makes that leap next year. I mean, he was given no talent last year on the offense. I mean, no one watched more games than me. These guys were not good receivers. I mean, DJ Chark couldn't stay on the field. LaVisca Chenault couldn't catch the ball. Marvin Jones couldn't create separation. They had a non-existent tight end position. So uh, they're running back James Robinson. I mean, He's not really receiving back, so he's not really going to help Trevor. So, I mean, it's it was and the defense was horrible. So there's really no situation where Trevor was being helped. Uh, this year, they added Christian Kirk. Yeah, they overpaid, but when you're the Jags, that's what you do. You got to overpay. And then they, you know, they added Evan Ingram, which not stoked about, but it is what it is. Another wild card is Travis Etienne coming back. Didn't play at all last year. 
He was a first round pick last year. And, you, you know, we know if he comes back from injury, Liz Frank injury is always questionable, but we know that he's going to add value in the receiving game. So Trevor is immediately being upgraded. So he is going to make that big jump. The problem is, is even if he makes a big jump, <laughs> still could be less than six games. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it definitely comes down to how big of a jump does Trevor make? Uh, six and a half. That's a good number. <laughs> that's a good number, Vegas. Yeah, it is. I wanted so much to be of the mind that Trevor and the Jags were going to take that jump, take that year two jump that we see so much from these quarterbacks. But the thing that's sort of holding me back from that is I look around at how some of these quarterbacks have taken that leap, specifically guys like Mahomes, guys like Lamar Jackson, guys like Josh Allen. And the formula, at least historically, seems to have been that they put a real stud number one around one of these guys and give them that opportunity. In Lamar Jackson's case, it was a little bit different. Lamar Jackson's number one was his legs and allowing him to sort of run an offense where he is being the physical freak that he is and, and just outrunning everyone and dodging tackles. But with Lawrence, I just felt like the Jags had this opportunity to give him some sort of a number one, like a guy like Stephon Diggs with the Bills, who really allowed Josh Allen to take that next leap. And instead, they signed Christian Kirk. So do you feel like Christian Kirk, despite not being that number one, might still be able to unlock something with Trevor Lawrence? I think this may be a case of where I've convinced myself, to be honest with you. But <laughs> watching, copium, Christian, copium. watching Christian Kirk uh, film from last year, I, I noticed something. Exceptional route runner, exceptional hands, timing routes are perfect. Kyler Murray actually isn't that quarterback. Yeah. Like Kyler Murray isn't a guy that hits a receiver on a timing route. And the guy that gets open and stacks his DB down the field on a bomb. Yeah. Kyler Murray extends the play to six to seven seconds. And Christian Kirk still had a, almost a thousand yards. So I actually think that Christian Kirk will be better in this offense than he was in the Cardinals offense. And I think that's kind of what the Jaguars are thinking. Because again, I mean, the guy's not overwhelmingly big. He's not overwhelmingly fast, but he is an insanely crisp route runner and he catches everything. So yeah. if the ball's there on time, he's going to catch it. And Trevor has that ability. I mean, Trevor has a can't. I mean, there's no denying his like physical specimen of a, of a quarterback. And, and, you know, putting Christian Kirk in a situation where he can be the number one because he's never been given that opportunity. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, he had Zach Ertz there last year. Uh, even even Edmonds was getting receptions out of the back. Like he wasn't really given the opportunity to be a true number one. Yeah. And I think with that opportunity, I mean, he's either going to, you know, sink or swim. And so at least give him the chance. I mean, yeah, was there was there other guys out there? Could you have gotten Amari Cooper, uh, Allen Robinson? Yeah. And that's what most Jags fans would would gripe about. But I'm not upset about Christian Kirk. He's young. Um, he's got the ability to prove himself. Uh, you know, you're still, I mean, Zay Jones, you know, whatever. But, you know, you got a guy like LaVisca who, it, he's a good receiver when he catches the ball. He just has had like a case of the drops last year. Marvin Jones Jr., another timing route type receiver guy. Uh, so, yeah, it's not as much as fans would want, but it's better than last year. <laughs> and uh, maybe the front office identified this this receiver class as not as good as, as you know, Jamison Williams was my top rated receiver in this in this draft. And, you know, he wasn't even, you know, wasn't even the first one taken. So I, I think that uh, maybe they just have their eyes on really shoring up the offense next year as far as skill position. I mean, Christian Kirk spent a lot of uh, spent a lot of money on Christian Kirk. Brandon Sheriff, I'm big on Brandon Sheriff. I mean, if he can stay healthy, I mean, he's one of the best guards in the league. So I think we just have to hopefully everyone stays healthy. And uh, maybe you're right. And they didn't do quite enough because Evan Ingram, I mean, whatever. Evan Ingram is Evan Ingram. But. Maybe, you know, 2023 is the year they they spend all the money in free agency. Trevor's in year three. Defense is clicking. 
Then you add your stud one, and that's a more realistic timeline for a playoff run than next year. So maybe that's their thought process. So here's something I, I wanted to run by you. You are a, a Jaguars fan. You are a Jaguars content creator. What would Trayvon Walker's sack line need to be next year for you to take the over? How, how many are you expecting from him? I, I think I saw like six and a half maybe was the line. Um, I, I don't see six and a half this year. Um, honestly, he's probably closer to a four. Four and, sack and a, year. And again, and here's the thing is, is the Jags switched just recently last year to this three, four scheme. And by drafting Muma and uh, drafting uh, Lloyd, those are probably going to be two of your linebackers in base package. The problem is, is that teams don't play base package most of the time. Most of the time, they're a nickel package. And in that situation, you're going to have Josh Allen as your edge. You're going to have Trayvon Walker, again, as your big five. He's your big end. He's going to be more productive uh, in the tackle for loss column than he will be in the sack column, at least next year. And again, and that's if he... And that's if he kind of develops the way people think he will. If he if he doesn't and he turns out to be a freak, then we're all wrong. But I but I don't think anyone's going to guess that. I would take the under on six and a half. Um, if it came out at five and a half, I think that would be a number you would really have to kind of think about. Um, but I would still probably lean toward the under just for him as a rookie. He's a big adjustment curve. Um, he's even though he's the number one pick, he's still kind of a project player. I mean, he has no pass rush moves. I mean, none. Oh, he has a bull rush, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, so if he can get. Seven sacks with a bull rush, the dude might be a freak. But you know he doesn't have the tool, uh, the, the the toolbox that Aiden Hutchinson had, where he comes out with the swim, uh, the spin, the bull. I mean, he doesn't have all that. He's just kind of like a freak, and he just is instinctive. And uh, the the tackle for loss. Now, if I don't know if the Lions gonna come out on that, but he's gonna open up sacks for Josh Allen. Yeah. So whatever Josh Allen's sack line comes out at, I'd take the over because I mean he's had he had a bad year last year, so I think Vegas is gonna come in with him at at a low number. And I think that uh, Josh Allen actually hits the over because of Trevon Walker. Interesting. That that I, I did not think about that, but I, I love that reasoning. I, I love the the logic you have there because, like you're saying, like he could really open up that that opportunity for more sacks from Josh Allen. So that's definitely something I'm going to keep an eye on. Now that we sort of talked a lot about the Jags, I'm curious. Just post draft, how are you thinking the AFC South shakes out? Well, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I'm not a huge fan of Matt Ryan. Don't think Matt Ryan's that impressive. But look, that offensive line's good. Jonathan Taylor's good. Uh, defense is getting better. Um, I think it's still the Titans division for now. Uh, but it's not a strong division. It's really not. And mainly because you can point to the quarterbacks. You know, you're looking at Matt Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, Davis Mills, and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that's that's not a strong group when you look look around the rest of the league, like the AFC West or something like that, right? Again, they're, they're, they're running game, and they're going to have to, you know, hopefully play defense. Um Look, the Colts didn't make the play. They make the playoffs last year. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you're looking at thanks to the Jags they beat them in the final week of the season. I mean, I think it's still the Titans division. Um, yeah, say what you want about Vrabel, he's a good coach for sure. I mean, he takes that like kind of oddball team, yeah. and turns it into wins. Like on paper, it shouldn't be that, but you always you look up at the end of the year and you're like, how are the Titans the two seed? Like, how did that happen? Or the one seed? Like, like I don't know. I mean, I trust more in Vrabel than I do the the team. Um, so that's why I lean toward the Titans as much as it, it pains me to say that. Um, but I don't think the rain will last long until they get, um, an upgraded, you know, quarterback, uh, Tannehill is what he is. I'm not a big fan of Malik Willis. I, oh yeah. I bet on Liberty the first like four games of the year. And I just watched this bum just not carry his team at all. There's no way this guy gets drafted in the first round and lo and behold, he does not get drafted in the first round. 
it's funny you say that. that. That's something I'd like to cover a little later on as we get closer to the season. Some of these guys who burn us with bets and, and how our interpretation of them is colored forever. I remember uh, Josh Rosen in college. I bet on Josh Rosen to beat, I think it was Texas A&M, and they were up uh, so much at halftime. They had like the single biggest blown lead at the time, and Josh Rosen just sucked, and I hated him forever after that. And I remember after the draft, I just could not bet on him in the NFL. Like no matter what, fortunately, that saved me a lot of money because he was horrible in the NFL. I had a similar experience with Malik Willis earlier this year where I'm a Steelers fan, so we were really hyping him up as a possible replacement for Big Ben. And I watched his game and I bet on him against Ole Miss. And good God, that was, ooh, ooh, ooh. (laughs) Watching him just suck up and down the field was brutal. He had like two interceptions, couldn't complete a pass. And I was like, people are going to bet on this guy to be the first quarterback taken. And even as... We drew closer to the draft. I couldn't talk myself into it. I, I could not get there purely because I was just burnt from prior experience. In every sport, we all have teams that we won't touch. Um, I will not touch the Coyotes in hockey. Uh, I will. I will not touch like the 76ers in basketball just because I'm, I'm done. You fool me five times. Shame on me. Uh, Malik Willis is the same way. One thing I'm curious about, you mentioned before that you are a guy who, who likes to likes to wet the beak, likes to gamble. What is your favorite weekly NFL bet? So NFL. OK, so I'm very particular and superstitious. Um, OK, love this. Yeah. First of all, uh, I, I NHL, that's my wheelhouse and I will just parlay <laughs> the money lines for days when it comes to the NFL. Um, I don't like to bet on primetime games because teams do random stuff on primetime games. It's the one o'clock games that you kind of know how they're going to go. And the NFL is a beast, man. Any given week, a team can show up. Um, but toward the end of the season, one o'clock games. Yes. Those are the times when the team that's supposed to cover the spread usually covers the spread in my opinion. So that's where I usually go to, um, you know, betting against the Jags. They covered the spread twice against the Bills, I think, once. Yeah. And then uh, the Colts, the end of the year. Their wins are the only times <laughs> that they covered the spread. It's funny. I I have this terrible knack for when the team is terrible, like the Jags were this year. I always love to bet on them against the spread because I think that, you know, everyone thinks they're terrible and they're catching a lot of points, so they can't be that bad, right? So I remember the year that the, the Browns went 0-16. I bet on them, like, 12 times, something preposterous, because every week I'm like, there's no way that this team cannot cover again. And my my lesson there was like, Hugh Jackson is the worst football coach in the history of the world. And not only does he lose every week, my man can't cover a goddamn spread. Cover the fucking spread, you. I, I don't understand it. It, it. Coaches go a long way. I mean, they're really they're undervalued a lot. And people like are just like whatever players are players. But coaches have a big, you know, a big part of it for sure. So it's funny you, you talk about the primetime games. I'll, I'll just tell you one of my favorite primetime bets is quarterback rush for the first touchdown because it hits in primetime all the freaking time. It is. Oh, I like that. It is such a fun bet because for whatever reason, these teams do weird stuff. They get to the one yard line. They just push the quarterback one yard ahead. It hits so much on these Thursday games, these Sunday games and the weirdest quarterbacks hit. And it is such a fun freaking bet. So something to watch out for people on, on primetime games. Kenny Pickett, bro. It's going to be your bet every week. Huh? Oh, yeah. Kenny Pickett oh, and, and Mitchell Trubisky every week. Rushing touchdown Steelers, rushing touchdown first quarterback. Uh, so, so that's what we're looking at this year. Thanks so much, Jason, for joining the show. We'd love to have you back on a little closer to the season when we're breaking down some of these divisions. Um, and, and until then, thanks again. Absolutely, man. Appreciate being here. Anytime that you want me on, I'll be here. Thanks so much, Jason, for joining the show. Thanks to you for listening. I will be back next week to talk more NFL, more NFL gambling. And until then, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye now.